Numbers chapter 13, I'm reading in the New King James Version this morning. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Everybody say a leader. These were men that were chosen from each tribe of Israel to go and scout out the promised land. This, just to catch you up to speed, this is uh, the continuance, really, what we read about this morning in Exodus, where God delivered his people from the land of Egypt. He, he allowed them to, he allowed a way for escape. That's what Exodus means, a, a way out. And he brought his people out of Egypt from the land of bondage. And he had a, a set promised land in mind for them. This was not just a, some area that was on a map, but it was truly the land that God had preordained for them to possess. This was a land that was promised to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was a land that God was bringing his chosen people back to. But while they were gone... While they were in bondage in Egypt, remember, they didn't start out in bondage. They went to Egypt for sustenance. They, they were, uh, it was famine across the world, so Egypt had food because of God's provision through the hand of Joseph. And the children of Israel left their promised land, the land of Canaan, and they, were, they went down to Egypt, and God prospered them there. They, they found success. They found um, food, for one thing, and they, they stayed alive. But over time, they, they fell into bondage, and they became slaves to Egypt. And even today, Egypt is a type and a shadow for us. It is a, an example for us. Uh, Egypt represents the world. It represents the sin. It represents that other nature of ours that we're born into, that we're born with, a, a nature that would desire the things of the flesh, that would be contrary to the Word of God, and, and contrary to the Spirit of God, but we all still, even to this day, uh, have to fight this Egypt side of us. But there is, a, there is a exodus from our Egypt, and God can take us out of that. He can deliver us from that sin, from that world of sin, from that life of sin, and the, the dominance of, of serving uh, the taskmasters of this world, and He can deliver us and bring us into his chosen possession, his chosen promised land that he has destined for us to possess. And I'm thankful for that today. I'm thankful for the move of God in our lives individually and collectively as he continues to lead us, as he continues to draw us to a place of reliance on him, and he continues to, to use us for his glory. So, they, they have left Egypt, and now they are on the doorstep of their promise. They've been delivered. They have been set free. They, they are now pursuing God. Remember the pillar, of fly, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day represented the presence of God. And God would lead them, and he would, the, the children of Israel would follow that cloud and that pillar and wherever he would move to. And he, they were moving toward the promise. Everybody say the promise. They were right at the doorstep of their promise. 
And the, the last thing they needed to do was to send spies to go and see the land. They were to go and, and bring back a report. Tell us what's there. What are we up against? What do we have to, uh, to do? How do we prepare? What, what, is, what do we have to do? So they sent spies. And remember, as we read in verse 2, these weren't just ordinary men. These were selected leaders. These were respected men of each tribe. And, and they were sent, one from each tribe, to spy out the land. And verse number three says, So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of them, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua the son of Zakor. Now there's a long list of, of names here, and I, I'm going to give you something to laugh at. I'm going to actually try to pronounce them all, okay? Um, I, I like to skip over these sections, but I, I want us to, to take a second to realize the importance here. I, I believe that nothing in Scripture is put there by accident. Nothing is placed there haphazardly, and God just included somebody's name for, for the fun of it, okay? Every word is inspired by God, and there is purpose, there is reason. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Now, we may question that at times and say, what, what does reading through the book of Numbers profit me? What, what does that do? But don't overlook sometimes the details in Scripture. I'm, I'm thankful for the Word of God. It is truly a, a lamp for our feet today. It's a, it's a light to our path today. I, I like to take just a, a minute here to read through these names of these men, these heads of, of the tribes of Israel. Now, notice there is no tribe of Levi but there were two tribes of Joseph, the Ephraim and Manasseh that were involved here. But the first man was from the tribe of Reuben. Reuben was the eldest. He was the, the oldest, um, and his name was Shamua, the son of Zachar. Now, I'm not going to focus too much on who his daddy was, but I, I just want to briefly tell you what their name means. Is that Okay. The name of Shamua means renowned. Pretty cool name. Anybody named a, a child before? Anybody named, named Shamua? It's renowned. It's a great name. No, next time, if, if you have some on the way, you might consider Shamua. Uh, the tribe of Issachar was Egal. Egal. Egal means he redeems. If you, if you look at the, the, a lot of these names, they, they, can, they contain L somewhere in there. Remember, wherever you see L in a name, that's talking about God. So a lot of people were named something L or L something. That means something of God or something from God. They're including God in, in the name. But Egal is he redeems. Uh, Issachar, or I'm sorry, that was Egal. The tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea. Everybody say Hoshea. Hoshea means, or Oshea means salvation. Pretty cool name. From the tribe of Benjamin, there was a man named Palti. That means my deliverance. There was a man named Gadiel. That is, God is my fortune. 
There's a man named just Gadi, and that's my fortune. I don't know how, why L didn't get in there, but uh, Amiel, my family is God, or God is my family, family of God, I guess. Sethur means hidden. Geuel means majesty of God. That's a good one, right? Name your son that, that majesty of God. What kind of things are in store for that young man? But we read through all these lofty names. And these were the men that were chosen to go and spy out the land. But I skipped one name. And that was Caleb. Caleb was of the tribe of Judah. We're all familiar with, with Judah. That was the, one of the, the chosen tribes, really. Um, not to go too deep in, into it, but when there was sin in the part of Reuben, Reuben was the eldest. And because of his sin, he fell. And part of what he, he lost a lot, he, he was cursed from that day forward. And his, what should have been his, his birthright, his kingship, his, his priesthood, that was given to other tribes within uh, the, the other tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Judah was, of course, the, the selected tribe, um, what we've seen, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the tribe that Jesus would come from. But this man named Caleb, we, we read all of his brothers' and family's names. What, what do you think Caleb means? Does anybody take a guess? Does it mean mighty man of valor? Does it mean the strength of God? That'd be pretty cool, right? That's a good guy to go out and spy. But no, I was shocked to find that Caleb means dog. Really? You can look it up. But Caleb means the dog. Now, I think it, it points more to the animal, but what the animal represents. I think there's, there's more to it than just the animal itself. But for just a couple of moments this morning, and I know that's what a lot of people say and doesn't really turn out that way, but I, I really believe just for a few moments today that the Lord would like to challenge us and I'd like to take a couple of moments to talk about the spirit of the dog. The spirit of the dog. Would you just ask the Lord to speak to your heart in this moment right now? Jesus, whatever you want to do in me, I surrender all to you, Lord. God, I pray your word would shine in our lives today. I pray that your word would strengthen us, God. That your word would empower us, Jesus, to be all that you want us to be in this hour. God, I pray that you would quicken us today, Lord. Let the spirit of revelation surpass our understanding, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we yield our vessels unto you, Lord. We yield our vessels unto you, my Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I glorify your name, Jesus. I glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. If you believe the Lord, would you clap your hands to him this morning? We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. The two spies that we're most familiar with, of course, is Joshua and Caleb. Those were the spies that came back with a good report. They, they had something good to say. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but they, they went as commanded with the other ten, and they looked around, they, they spied out the land of Canaan, and they came back, and the two that are most notable, I never heard of the other ones until I took some time to study it, but is Joshua and Caleb. Now, you might say, Joshua, we didn't read his name. But that's because his name wasn't Joshua. His, his name, his given name, as it says in Numbers 13, verse number 16. These are the names of the men who went to Moses, or went from Moses to spy the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Now, it's pretty well received that Moses wrote the book, wrote this one. So when he wants to call somebody something else, he wrote the book. His, but the, the name that we call Joshua, the, the man that was set as leader of the people of Israel after Moses had passed, and, you know, some say, well, if Moses wrote it, how, how did it finish? Because it died, he died before the, the last was written. And most think that Joshua probably completed it at the end. But regardless, Joshua is called Joshua throughout Scripture, but his given name was Hoshea. I mentioned earlier that Hoshea means salvation. I don't want to get too, too in-depth here, but I, I just think it's interesting that salvation wasn't good enough for Moses. He said, I'm going to call you Joshua because that is Jehovah is my salvation. Jehovah saves. I, I believe that the Lord would, would question us and challenge us today and would say to us and to say to me personally that salvation is not enough for us. I... I don't want to step on any toes or teach anything, and if I do, Elder is here and can fix it when I leave, all right? That's, that's the, the benefit of having oversight. But I, I believe that there is something of significance here. We, we would look to salvation as a pretty cool name. I, I like the name salvation. It means you're being saved. But, but there was something more that Moses saw in this young man, and there was something that was a little deeper to the, the man Joshua than what was given to him at birth as a name. But he, he recognized something in him, and he, he, he put a new name on him. And simply that simple salvation isn't enough. And I believe in this hour, the Lord would help us to understand that the Lord has not delivered us from Egypt so that we can just be saved. He has not delivered us from our past, from our sins, and from our shame just so that we can call ourselves a Christian and call ourselves saved. But he has, he has called us so that we can help to lead his people into the promised land and into the place of their possession. Amen. But the spirit of a dog, 
Anybody have a dog? Any dog owners, dog, dog people? Look at Oh, I love you people. Any, anyone that is owned by a dog? That's probably more, more <laughs> dog owned. I mean, we feed them. We take care of them. I get it. I have a dog myself. Uh, I've had several dogs in, in my life uh, growing up. We generally had one or two dogs around. Um, they, dogs, are, dogs are funny. You can, you can get a good dog, and you get a not-so-good dog. Now, a lot of the times, what, depend, what decides if it's a good dog or a bad dog is a lot of the times how it's trained. What, what decides whether or not a dog will be obedient, a dog will be attentive to what its, its owner, its master has to say uh, or not, will generally be decided. Now, there might be some exceptions, but a lot of times it is how they were trained. But there are, are traits of a dog that if you look into Scripture and look at the, the word Caleb, I, th- I think that what the essence of the, the name is getting to is the spirit of the dog and specifically the loyalness or the stubbornness or the dogged tenacity. Anybody heard of that term dogged? To pursue something, to, to want something so bad and not let go? Something's trying to distract you. You know, you see those working dogs. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be around a working dog, maybe a shepherd out with the sheep. And, and those working dogs are just amazing. I, I love to watch them as they run around and do their thing, man. A, a well-trained working dog is truly an incredible thing to see. They, they know their job so well, and there is nothing that you can do to distract them from it. I, I've got to hunt a couple of times and, and use a couple of hunting dogs. They weren't mine. I just I was along for the ride, and I got to admire how trained these these dogs were, and these dogs would run the entire day, looking for pheasants, looking for animals, and they were just tireless. They were dogged. There was nothing that could distract them. There, I, I hunted rabbits one time with a with a a bunch of beagles. Anybody had a beagle? Oh my. Oh, we need to pray for the hearts. <laughs> Beagles are hilarious. They, they are really funny dogs. But a beagle, when he is on the scent of a rabbit, when a hunting beagle is on the scent of a rabbit, there is nothing that you can do to take them off of that scent. I'm telling you, you can have their favorite treat. You can have their favorite toy. You can have whatever their heart desires. But I'm telling you, if that beagle is on the scent of a rabbit, Lord help you. Because until the, the pursuit is done or either he loses that scent, it's on. And he let, just lets And he just goes and goes and goes. That's the spirit of a dog. That's the, the tenacity that's talked about. That's the, the dogged, stubborn determination of the spirit of the dog. There, there are many stories of, of dogs um, highlighting the loyalty nature of a dog. There, there are incredible stories. I, I forget the, the name of it. They wrote a book about it, I think made a movie about it. Uh, but there was a, a dog that was so loyal to his master 
Every day when, when his master would come home from the train or the bus stop, that dog would be waiting for its master. And as soon as, the, as, soon as he got off the train from work, they would walk home and, and be together. They were inseparable except when he had to leave. But he would go to work in the morning, tell his dog to stay there, come back, and there he was. And as the story goes, the man died. But the dog kept on going. The dog would still be there to greet his master every day. And they, there was no master. So, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring everything down. That's a little, a little tear. But the, the dog was so loyal that the people witnessing this made a statue right there next to the bus station, next to the, I think it was a train station. And in homage to the, to the loyalty of this dog and the nature and the spirit of a dog. I've had some good dogs. I've had some dogs that uh, were not good. I've had dogs that were obedient. I've had dogs that were disobedient. But another trait of the dog is endurance, especially those, those working dogs like we talked about. But the nature and the spirit of the dog will pursue the promise until it has it. The, the spirit and the nature of the dog will grasp a hold of it until it either gets it or it's done. And I believe that's what spirit the Lord would quicken to us today. I believe the Lord would impart to us the spirit of the dog this morning. Amen. If we jump ahead to verse Verse number 18, this is when they are sent out, go and see the land, see what people there are, strong or weak, few or many. They came back, and they, remember, they, they cut down some grapes from the land. Everybody remember those stories in, in Sunday school. I can still remember the, the arts and craft projects. You always have a cluster of grapes on those Sunday school art projects. There's always some grapes that they're, you know, carrying back. And they did. They brought back of the land and said, yes, it is a, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there are great fruit. There are uh, lots of good stuff here. However, nevertheless, in verse 28, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They had some excuses. They, they had some questions and some doubt that accompanied them back. Yes, they had the proof of the promised land and the goodness that was there. But a part of their report is, nevertheless, there are some giants here. There are some well-fortified cities here. And notice they said there are some cities that are very large. In other words, they were intimidated by the size and by the mass of the promise. They, to get to the promise, there, there was an intimidating factor because there was an enemy in front of them. 
And to, to get to where they were going, there was a, an enemy that had to be dealt with. And before they could walk in the promise of God and before they could see what God had given them and to take possession of that land, there was giants in the way. We talked a little bit earlier this morning about David seeing Goliath. And what stopped and what, cre- what caused the children of Israel to fear was a giant. If you read, if you study what Anak means, Anak simply means long neck. Um, kind of reminds you of the dinosaurs, you know, the, the long necks. But truly what it is is the children of Anak were giants. They, they were very tall people. They were giant people. And they possessed the land. In order to walk in our possession, in order for us to get to where God is leading us personally and collectively, there's going to be some giants in our way. There, there's going to be some enemy pushback. We, we shouldn't be surprised by this when we're, we're ambushed by, by the enemy. We should actually be expecting it. We, we should be expecting to walk into spiritual resistance because we are pursuing the will of God. Now, some people get the wrong idea by this, and they say, well, I'm experiencing resistance, so it must not be God. I'm experiencing some spiritual resistance. must mean God wants me to do something else. But in reality, resistance is normal. It's natural because there is a possession, and a possession is possessed by somebody else. So in order to take the possession that belongs to you, you have to take it from the one that possesses it currently. Everybody with me? We we talked a little bit this morning how in the New Testament, there's the, the concept that is structured and shared is the taking of someone's things. You you don't break into someone's house and and take their goods unless you first deal with the strong man. You don't go into Egypt and and take out the children of Israel until you first deal with Pharaoh. And spiritually today, there are spiritual giants. There are spiritual possessions that we will come up against, and we should be able and and ready to deal with. Amen. We, we, We have to be ready to deal with the strong man because there will be the release of the prisoner after that. Amen. There will be the release of the prisoner. The, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and all those other ites that we read about, they weren't in a hurry to give their land of milk and honey away. Now, we understand it didn't belong to them. They had come and filled a void. There was a vacuum created when, you know, the children of Israel left. So they, they were there and kind of took over. So... The children of Israel found this there to, as they possessed their promised land, to to clean those groups out and to take it back. But we read on through the chapter, the Amalekites in verse 29 dwell in the land. This is the 10 reporting back. By the way, it matters what what kind of reports you put around yourself. It, It matters what kind of reports you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with negative reports, you're probably going to have a negative outlook. 
If you surround yourself with negative people, you're probably going to be a negative person. If you surround yourself with people of faith, people that love God, people that believe God, people that are pursuing God, chances are you're going to find yourself pursuing God. It's just the, the nature of how it goes. But in, in verse 29, the, the end of what the, the ten spies are saying, the Amorites live there, the Canaanites live there, dwell by the sea. Verse number 30, here's when the dog starts to talk. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Picture that in your mind with me. You've got 12 guys, renowned, respected leaders that have come back. Ten of them have given their report. And you have this other guy. Says, hey, hush up a little bit here. No, really, that's what it says. He, he quieted the people. What do you think that sounded like? The people are in an uproar right now. They are distracted. They, they are feeling anxiety. They are feeling, what are we going to do now? This is hopeless. What, what do we do? But the voice of Caleb rises above all the clatter and all the, the doubt that was in, happening at that moment. And he, he quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Notice he says, let's go up now. It's now time. Guys, I, I know you're, you're sitting back and you're listening to all this negativity, but if we're going to do this thing, we need to go now. There, there's an urgency here. We, we need to walk in what God has called us to do. We, we need to be obedient to the Spirit of God. We need to do it now. Let's go up now at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. Look at somebody and say, we're able. Say it like you mean it. Say, we're able. The reason why we're able is because he's able. The reason we're able is because he's able and he abides in us. So where, where God is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. We are able. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against this people. Why? Because they're stronger than we. And... Simply put here, what eyes can see by the flesh, okay, by, by what they were able to see in the flesh, they're absolutely right. Because they were only using the eyes of flesh. They, they looked at their company, which, by the way, was some 1.5 million people. Not a small number. But they, they looked at the enemy. They looked at these fortified cities, and they looked at these giants and they said, they're stronger than we are. And by the eyes of the flesh, they might be right. But what you have to do is get beyond the eyes of the flesh. You have to get beyond the eyes of the flesh and use the eyes of the spirit. You have to say, God, help me open my eyes today. Help me to see God the way that you see. Help me to see your strength today, Lord. Help me to see that I can be an overcomer through you, through your blood today. That's the spiritual side that these eyes can't see, but we have to live 
in the spirit. Amen. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. This is the, the, the negativity again. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak come from the giants, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now we get to some assumptions. Because we, we hear a little of their, their self, uh, the, the lack of confidence in self. They, they say we're looking at ourselves and we're like grasshoppers. What, what we're able to do against this great giant people, we're, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. That's how they perceived it. That's how they were looking at it. And so because of their own perception was I'm so little, I'm so weak, I'm so not good enough, that's how they assume the enemy must be looking at them. They say, well, I, to me, I, I only have, you know, do we even have a sword among us? We're, we're just delivered from, from Egypt we, we're such a, a weak people, but these guys are strong, and in their sight, they must look at us like, oh, that's nothing. But I want you to know today, the enemy looks at you when you're walking with the Holy Ghost, when you're walking in the Spirit of God. He looks at you, and he trembles because he knows that the Spirit of God is within you. When God is for us, who can be against us? When, when God is for us, there is no force, no enemy that can stand before us. I don't care how big the giant is this morning. If you have the Holy Ghost, if you have the Spirit of God leading and directing your steps, you are well able. You're well able. Not because of your own abilities, not because of what you bring to the table, but simply because you've yielded to Him. And now... Your rod is his rod. You have to go back in first service and listen to that. I'm sorry. I don't have time to get to that. But perception is important. Our perception is important. When we look on ourselves and we look on our own abilities or the lack of them, and we begin to match that up with the possession ahead and, and the promised land that is before us, we can easily question that. That's why when we pray, oftentimes we have to close our eyes. You ever thought about that? Why do we close our eyes when we pray? Your kid ever ask you that? It's because when I pray, I am silencing every voice that I can see in the natural. I'm, I'm shutting everything else out. Nothing else applies right now. It's just me and God. I'm, I'm shutting out everything else around me. I'm shutting out anything that might influence my mind, influence my spirit, and I'm allowing myself to just be alone with him. I'm allowing myself to be caught up with him for a little bit. And I, when I get beyond what I can see physically, I get to a spiritual realm, and he begins to show me things that I couldn't see before. He begins to show me things in the spirit. Amen. We look ahead to Numbers chapter 14, just one chapter ahead. This is the response of children of Israel. They had the good, 
they had the bad. And now it was decision day. It was time for them to decide whose voice they were going to listen to. Were they going to listen to the voice of negativity, of the voice of fear, of the voice of ineptitude, the voice that they couldn't, they weren't strong enough? Or were they going to listen to a smaller group of people that said, we are well able, we are able. So their response in verse number one says, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Listen to this. They're, they're saying we'd be better off dead. How does that make any sense? They're afraid of going against an enemy. Well, what are they going to do to you? Worst case scenario, they're going to kill you. But they're saying, oh, man, I'm better off dead. Well, I'm not following your logic here. Either you're afraid of dying or you're not. But they're, they're coming up and they're crying. They're lamenting because this promised land that God had promised them, they were marching to. They were encountering some obstacles in the way. And in their mind, they were too great. The obstacles were too great for them to achieve and to see the promise that God had designed for them. And in verse 3, they continue this blubber fest. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt. What they simply were saying was, I was better off as a slave than pursuing the promise of God. We were better off when we lived for the world. We were better off when we dealt with the, the, the results of living for sin. We, we were better off in Egypt. Yes, I know we were we, had, we were slaves to it. We had to do things we didn't want to do. We had to serve these cruel taskmasters. But in their minds, they had become so twisted that they thought they were better off back in slavery than pursuing the promise that God had right in front of them at their doorstep. What a tragedy. What a sad thing. What a... What a tragedy to get so close, so close. You're on the doorstep of your promise. You're, you're simply close enough to smell it. You're right on the edge of what God has designed for you. But you, you, you count the cost, and you count the cost and say, no, too much. I, I can't do it. I, I, I know I come this far, but... It's just going to cost too much for me. I just, I, I can't, can't quite cross over that. Oh, the tragedy of falling so close to God's plan for you. To desire to go back to the old ways. Friend, we can't go back to Egypt today. In the name of Jesus, we can't go back to Egypt today. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. 
Jesus, I pray that you would help us right now. I've come too far to turn back now. I've come too far to turn back, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, I pray you help us right now. There's no cost too great, God. There's no cost too great. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It gets worse. They, in verse 4, they said one to another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. We're going back. Not only were they going back, but they had to turn away from the, the God-ordained shepherd in their lives. They, they had to forsake the man of God that had led them to this place. And because of their unbelief, they said, ah, kick him out. Let's find somebody else. There, there's scripture in, in the New Testament that talks about um, getting searching preachers having itching ears. It's talking about a people that didn't like what they heard, and so they would find preachers that would tell them what they wanted to hear because they, they, they wanted to hear something that made them feel good about themselves. And this is simply the nature of us all. We, there are things in Scripture, can I be honest today, there are things in Scripture that don't make my flesh feel good. There are things that are abrasive to me in the Scripture, and, and it's, it's, it's something that I need to embrace. That's called conviction. Don't, don't confuse the two, conviction and condemnation. The, the difference is conviction will reach for you and will draw you closer to him. Conviction is God's way of reaching for you in your place and bring you closer to him. The, the conviction that we, we feel sometimes when we're reading the scripture, when we're hearing the word of God preached, that is the love of God reaching for us. And, and if we'll respond to the conviction of God, we'll, we'll come closer to him. And we'll continue to, to pursue him. He'll show us deeper things. He'll, he'll bring us deeper into him. But condemnation will push us away from God. Because condemnation says you're not good enough and you never could be. I guess you won't be close to God. And, and so we use that as kind of a pushback, a, something to push us away from God, to give us a little more space. But the conviction of God is something we need to learn to embrace. I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. I don't care how long you've been walking after him, searching the scriptures, trying to let him lead you in your life. Always embrace conviction. Always embrace the loving mercies of God that are just trying to lead you deeper in him, trying to show you deeper levels of holiness, deeper levels of separation from the world, and deeper walk with him. I desire that today. I desire a deeper place with him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you just love the Lord right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We respond to your conviction right now, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me enough, God, to call me closer to you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Help me never to push away your conviction, God. But let me embrace it today. 
Let me embrace it today, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We jump ahead just a few verses in numbers to verse number 11. And we see how God feels about the people's response. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I've performed among them? This is God talking. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, the Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your name will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring his people to the land which he swore to them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. Now, Moses had a special relationship with God. He, he was a man that could speak to the Lord in a way that no one else could. When, when, when the people and, and his siblings came against Moses, Moses, he was very harsh with them in dealing with them. He said, I can talk to Moses face to face. Moses is my chosen. Moses is somebody that I, I, can, I can deal with on a special level. And he is, he's ready to wipe out the children of Israel and reestablish his covenant with Moses. That's some serious stuff. That's a, a serious statement by a serious God where his people were not ready to be obedient and in faith believing that they could overcome and pursue the promise. But he said, I'm done with them. I'll wipe them out. But catch the response of Moses. He says, God, if you wipe them out, you're not going to get glory from it. I think he, he, know, he knew God well enough to know the things that move God, the things that God desires is that his name would be glorified among the earth. That his name and his, his fame would be made abroad upon the earth. God is interested in being glorified. God is interested in being made glorious upon the earth. He wants his creation to glorify you, to glorify him. And it was this that Moses used to say, God. What, what are, what's Egypt going to say when they hear about this? You won't be glorified. And the Lord, verse number 18, the Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray. This is what intercession looks like. Intercession is simply to stand between two points. If you look up the, the pure definition of to intercede, 
It, it means someone to fill a space between two points. And when we talk about intercession, we usually use it in context of prayer. We, we, are, we are filling a space for something. In other words, if God doesn't do something to ch- make a change, something bad is going to happen. If, if God doesn't involve himself in the situation and change the situation, then this, something bad is going to happen. In this case, Moses is standing in intercession between the people of God and a holy God that's about ready to wipe them out. Simply because they didn't have faith to believe his promise and believe that he would fulfill it. In verse 23, they certainly, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. The Lord said, this is his response, I have pardoned according to your word. Because he prayed, because he interceded for the people. The Lord's response was, okay, according to your word, I pardon them. Prayer is effective, people. Prayer is effective. God is looking for an intercessor in this hour. He he is looking for someone to stand in the gap. He's he's looking for a a chosen vessel to stand in the gap between judgment and his holiness. He's looking for somebody to to bridge this gap between a fallen world, a fallen people, and the holiness of God. But he needs an intercessor. He needs somebody to stand in that gap. And the Lord responded according to your word because you have prayed. I pardon them. In verse 21, but truly, as I live, all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, I have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb. Remember that guy? Remember the spirit of the dog that piped up when everything else was, no, this can't happen. The spirit of faith that said, yes, it can't happen. We're well able. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God, would you fill us with the spirit of Caleb this morning that would impact generations to come. The choices. To believe you, to believe your voice, God, have consequences for generations to come. I pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let us believe your word right now, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we're almost done here. Joshua chapter 14. 
Joshua chapter 14, verse number 6. Then the children of Judah, Brother Ethan, if you'd come, please. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. This is 45 years later. Because Israel, the first time, were on the doorstep of the promise and just couldn't have faith enough to walk into it. Because they turned back, God had to lead them around the wilderness for 40 years until they had all perished. Everyone from that generation that didn't have the faith to believe God. Everybody that had a chance to partake in the promise but chose not to. God said, all right, I'll just outwait you. God's outside of time. He has a lot more time than we do. He said, I'll simply wait for a generation that will believe me. I don't want him to have to wait for my kids to grow up, to be able to perform his work and take the possession that he has called me to pursue and to take. I don't want there to be a generational lag. I, I want my children to be able to walk in places because they had a dad that chose to say, we can take this, that, had a, that chose to say, we are well able to take this land. But here we are, 45 years later, the children of Judah came to Joshua. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know, this is the two spies, the only two that were remaining that came through. You know the word of the Lord that said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. There's something about the spirit of a dog that will believe God no matter what. Something that will get into our spirit, something that gets into our heart, that's, that believes God to perform the work that is before us. Verse number eight, nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me and the heart of the, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. He's bringing Joshua back. He's, he's reminding him of, remember, the promises of God. Remember, they're yea and amen. When God gives a promise, some years might pass by that we don't see it come to pass. Even... Caleb, who had the belief and the desire to walk in it. He was ready. Let's go. 45 years later, he stood upon that promise. And though he, he hadn't seen it come to pass yet, there was something in his spirit and in his heart that says, I still believe God. I still, even though I haven't seen it come to pass yet, I still believe that God will perform the work. I, I still believe that God will accomplish the work this day. And he reminds Joshua of this. And he says, now in verse 10, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. 
as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. I'm going out to battle, but I'm going to come back in because God's faithful, because he's made me a promise. Remember the the promises of God. He, He said, wherever my feet walk, wherever I went, God's going to give me that possession. Why don't we stand this morning? Verse 12 says, now, therefore, give me this mountain. Now, remember, he's going back to where he'd already been 45 years prior. He said, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him. And gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. He didn't ask just for any old place. There might have been some nice valleys, some lush green areas. Say, hey, give me, give me that area. But no, there's something about the spirit of a dog that looked back and said, no, I want that mountain. I've been there before. I, I, I've been there. I, I, walked, I walked up there. And you think about why a spy would go to a mountain. If you're one of 12 sent to spy out a land, you, you can see the, the wisdom of choosing a mountain because on the mountain you have visibility. If you get up high, you can see a little ways. You can see what's surrounding you. You can get a, a visual of what you're up against, which is what his job was. He saw the same things The other spies saw, but he had a different perception about it. He saw the same fortified cities. He was up on a mountain, but he said, I want that mountain. And for an 85-year-old man to say, I can still take this mountain, to say that God is still able to perform his word. He is still able to perform his promise. He's still able this morning. He's still able this morning. He's still able this morning. I've come to speak to every giant this morning and to quicken the faith of the people of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you to know we're still able. I want you to know he's still faithful. Oh, yes, he is.